Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And welcome to March 10th, a ridiculously warm, beautiful, <laughs> not going to last, March 10th, 2021. Uh, one of the things that I've <laughs> been noticing during the uh, last year is, is that in order to help us understand maybe the impact and or the extent of uh, job losses, uh, COVID, uh, sickness, death, hospitalization, um, all of these impacts of, of this pandemic. It's clear that news organizations have decided that a picture or a graphic is worth a thousand words, and I, I'm sure it is. Uh, you can talk numbers until you're blue in the face, but I, I, our brains don't really take it in. But if you can show us, you know, a bar graph or something of, uh, of jobs lost or, uh, you know, people gone or whatever. And because of that, I have never seen so many graphs in uh, in the newspapers. And I have found something out about myself as I have uh, confronted this uh, graphic display. I have trouble reading them. And I don't know what part of my brain that means isn't uh, quite up to snuff, but there are many graphs that I stare at. There's one in, on the front page of the uh, New York Times today. And I, I'm sure if I really made myself focus, I could understand it. But I just have trouble. I really have had trouble. All those spiky, you know, it's like, you know, tracing the stock market. That, I, that kind of a graph I get. Um, but some have become way too complicated for me, way too complicated. And maybe it's because they're trying to do too much information, like this graph that's making my head hurt today is who is still not working a year after, a year into this pandemic. And and then they tell you what all these lines are, but there's just too much here. And my head starts to hurt. I can tell it ain't good. I mean, I can just tell there's lots of, and they do it by Hispanic, black, Asian, white. And as usual, the white folks are doing, clearly are doing better than everybody else. But we've learned a lot about ourselves in this uh challenging time and one of the things i've learned is that 
man, I can't read a graph. And I'm, I'm very impressed by those graphic artists <laughs> who are able to concoct them um, and uh, are able to make them uh, so that idiots like me can sometimes uh, comprehend them. But wow, it's been very humbling. Can't imagine how many IQ points that cost me. So what we got here? I've got some something really interesting that I saw, and I want to pass it on to you. And I don't have the exact way of how to get to it, but I'm sure all you brilliant souls will be able to Google it and and find a way to sign up if you choose to. It's it's about a uh, a new company that has started up. I I believe that's what I should have said. It's about a startup. <laughs> it's about a startup that is the brainchild of a of a man who clearly is a good soul. Because uh, over the years, he has uh, founded and become the CEO of other startups. And they're always about helping people, helping somebody find an available doctor's appointment, helping somebody who's lost a pet, you know, get reunited with the pet. This is the kind of thing this guy is drawn to. And so seeing all the news reports and maybe a graph or two of how much vaccine is out there and how many people want it and then all the confusion about who can get it and even stories now I, I don't know I shared one with you yesterday about how uh, in some places these vaccines are, are, are just sitting there and people are are not getting them. So they're being wasted. And then you have all these people all over the country that are increasingly anxious to get a shot. By the way, I digress just a moment because it just occurred to me. You know, the Brits and, and us supposedly speak the same language, but we don't in in a lot of ways. And one way we don't is by how we refer to the vaccine, vaccine, the vaccine uh, doses. We say shots and the Brits say jabs. And I have to say, I, I don't like that jab. Every time I see it, uh, in a quote from some British uh, public health official um, or in a PSA that they've put out. Why would you call it a jab when a jab by its very nature sounds like an aggression? Doesn't it? It just sounds a little, it sounds like it focuses on the negative. I just want to say that because every time I see it, I don't like it. Here's another phrase that I had a problem with like that. Do you think I'll ever find my way back to what I was talking about? Because it just occurred to me after I said I can't stand that word jab being used. 
in that manner. I had the same kind of reaction when I first heard, and it can't have been all that long ago, the phrase baby bump. And I have to tell you, to this day, I have that reaction. I don't like it. Let me see your baby bump. God, I don't know. So I don't know. Do you guys ever, is it just me who is so reactive to, uh, to words? I, I, I don't know. What a beautiful bird. Jeez, what is that? It's some kind of a nuthatchy thing, I think. Sorry. Boy, I'm digressing upon digression upon digression. This does not bode well for the program, I don't think. Or maybe it does. So, oh, I'm speaking of birds. Here's another digression. My God, I retweeted it. Look it up if you have to. It's called a ghost bird. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, just I did it this morning. It's called a ghost bird. And it apparently is rarely seen during the day. It's a ghost, so it comes out at night. And somebody had posted a video of one of these birds sitting on a fence somewhere. And it is the weirdest looking thing, creepy looking thing. And then to add to the creepiness, it has a call that's Sounds, according to the piece that I saw, uh, sounds like a human wailing. Well, this bird sitting on the fence in the day, which means it was an odd bird to start with, an odd one of its kind, does let out a, a call. And it is weird, but it's its face and its posture. It is the weirdest looking thing. I. It doesn't really even look like a bird to me. Its face doesn't look like a bird. It's too rock. God, look it up. God, look it up and tell me if that doesn't make you, you know, back up a step or two. Okay. Jabs, baby bumps, scary birds. Now, where was I? So this guy who does all these startups is really a good guy. His name Masumi. I don't know what his first name is. Masumi. And he has seen a need. This is what an entrepreneur does. They see a need and they move to meet it. He sees that there's all these anxious people all over the country wanting to get a vaccine. He sees that every state has its own rules. In some states, someone with uh, diabetes or who is a smoker can go to the front of the lines. In other states, forget about it. Everybody's screwing the uh, grocery workers. Remember how we like couldn't laud them enough in the beginning because they were risking their lives to help us um, throughout in these menial jobs that they, these hard jobs, I'm menial in that they are not well compensated. I've digressed again. Um, 
and they're never, I don't think there's a state that has them at the top of the list. So as usual, you know, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Let's all applaud. And then let's screw you when it comes to payday. That's, that's America. Well, anyway, back to Mr. What's-His-Name and this idea he had. So he thought there's got to be a way to help people get to these vaccine doses that are going to waste. Because once they're taken out of the fridge, uh, you know, the, the clock begins to tick and eventually that dose is not uh, viable and has to be thrown out. So this guy's come up with a, a thing. You sign up for it. A half million people in the country already have. I'm sure many, many more will, I'm telling you, because you might want to. I just don't know how you do it because this article doesn't tell me. But the name of the startup is simple. Dr. D-R, period, B, capital B as in boy, Dr. B. So that's what you want to Google. And you sign up with Dr. B, and you give Dr. B a bunch of biographical information, like who you are, what you are, where you are. And then they've got your info. And so on a daily, hourly basis, they've got probably algorithms that are constantly sorting through all of the data of where the vaccine is right now, who's got it, who's got priority. They know all the different state requirements and regulations. And the way it works is if they find uh, a dose near you, they text you and they tell you, we got one right near you, but here's the thing about this. You've got to be able to then stop whatever you're doing and go get it. Via text message, they say there's a dose near you. You have 15 minutes to reply to the text. If you don't reply to the text in 15 minutes, somebody else is going to get a shot at the shot. But if you do reply immediately, then I guess that shot is yours, but you have to be willing that it's, it's available now. So you have to be willing to drop whatever you're doing and get to the shot. But it does line people up with available shots. And there's all these stories of, let's say, supermarkets giving out the shots and then having doses at the end of the day and no people and how they, they, they they're combing through the grocery aisles, uh, you know, asking uh, shoppers, do you want a vaccine? You know, they're, they're, otherwise this stuff just goes begging. There are other locations where people have found that at the end of the day, there are sometimes doses left if a drugstore is giving them out that day or, or a grocery store. And so some people have taken to going at the very end of the day and getting in line and hoping they can get one of those surplus doses. But those are the kind of doses that this Dr. B 
is setting people up with. Now, obviously, this again skews to people who uh, have the have a smartphone, have the capacity to uh, you know quickly respond to a text, and then have the ability to like transport themselves to wherever the vaccine is. But I think if you know some, and by the way, this means that a young person can get this, and they say and they quote all the ethical people saying if the dose is going to go to waste and you're 25 years old, go for it. It's better to use the dose. Every vaccinated person is a vaccinated person. So this is a way for younger people or people, you know, I don't have to be 20s, you can be in your 40s, to maybe get a vaccine a little bit quicker. So I'm just uh, telling you, it's free. You don't pay them any money. Uh, the the providers on the other end who sign up to have their data in the system, they don't pay any money. So this is not a money-making endeavor by this guy. He's just a good guy. And um, these stories of, 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 here's a rural county in, somewhere in Missouri where 80 people failed to show up to their their appointments for a vaccine and the people uh who had the vaccine were like you know furiously trying to make calls getting people this is happening all over the place these extra doses going begging and many ending up not in anyone's arm but tossed in a wastebasket by the way, Dr. B D R period, capital B, uh, is named after this guy's grandfather, who was nicknamed Dr. Bubba and was a doctor during the 1918 influenza pandemic. So there you have it. Just want to, I mean, that's a public service. I if any of you are um, inclined, and I can see being inclined. Uh, okay, now what do I got? You think you got problems. I read a story today of a woman who, you know, some people, their lives, it's like from day one, from day one, they're cursed. Other people, from day one, they're blessed. My mother always maintained she is such a person, and I don't know anyone who would argue otherwise. I mean, she, her life has been long and healthy and no major. She's just, you know, and, and then some other poor soul. I mean, my mother didn't deserve that life nor to somebody who has a life of, you know, God, tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy deserves that life. And it's just, you know, I guess people who believe in God might think, what, does God have a hand in this? What the heck? It's one of the reasons a lot of people don't believe in God. 
or it's fate. I just think it's luck of the draw, either good luck or bad luck, but it's just happenstance. Where you're born, when you're born, to whom you're born, and then the events that play out in your life. But I read this story about this woman in Australia. Good God in heaven. Her name is Kathleen Folbig. And man, this woman still hasn't gotten a break. And she's got to be, I don't know. Do they ever give me her age? She's 53. So she's 53 years old. And she's the female equivalent of Job. When she was 18 months old, her father, her father shot her mother, killed her. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, stabbed her. Stabbed her mother to death. So she has a father who murdered her mother at the age of, she's 18 months. That's, that's her start in life. I don't know much about then who raised her or what. But uh, as she, you know, reached adulthood, she did marry. She married a minor and moved to uh, Newcastle, which was uh, the coal capital uh, near Sydney or north of Sydney. And uh, she had a baby, Caleb. He lived for 19 days. The doctor said he died of sudden infant death syndrome. She had another baby, Patrick. He was dead at eight months. He was born blind and he had epilepsy and the medical examiner said that uh, he had choked to death. Hope springs eternal. Two years later, she gave birth to another child, this time a girl, Sarah. Sarah made it to 10 months and died. Her death also classified as sudden infant death. And then six years later, her fourth child, another girl, Laura. Now I'm looking at pictures of these kids. God, they're beautiful. Laura. And in March of 1999, Laura died at 18 months. This time, the authorities listed the cause of death as undetermined. And this time, the authorities got involved because, as one of the doctors said, I've never seen anything like this. Four dead kids in a row None of them making it past 18 months. There's something afoot here. 
And so she went on trial for the murder of her four children. And because the jury totally, totally found the prosecutor's case compelling, I mean, they said, hey, look, <laughs> lightning strikes, flying pigs, hell freezing over. I mean, these, all these things are more likely than four babies in the same household dying over a span of 10 years. Come on. Kathleen Folbig was found guilty of the murder of her four children. She was 35 years old at the time. As I said, she's 53 now. And she's been in jail ever since. So from the age of 35 to today, she sits in jail for the murder of her four children, which she has maintained. She did not do. Well, she's got some hope now because she was charged with having smothered all of them, but there was never any evidence that any of them had been smothered. The reality is, is none of her children were healthy when they died. They all had issues. So finally, some attorneys trying to see if they could help her because they thought that perhaps she, in fact, was innocent. They went to some geneticists and they said, could you examine her because maybe she has some genetic mutation that got passed on to these kids uh, that might explain four babies dead in this family. And so the geneticist got her, got her blood or her saliva or whatever they get. And indeed, they found she had an exceedingly rare mutation. In fact, there are only 75 people in the entire world known to have it. Now, that doesn't mean there's only 75 people because most would never have been tested for it. And they had tissue samples from her kids and they went in and looked for it there. And sure enough, sure enough, both girls, both her girl children had the same mutation. And by the way, this mutation is not a good one. It causes heart arrhythmias. It can cause cardiac arrest and sudden death in infancy. There you have it. You would think 
that with, and by the way, the boys were found to have a different kind of, I can't find the information here, but I, I, also something that triggers uh, early death. All four of her kids. Well, her defense uh, team then went looking for more corroboration. They got it. They got scientists here, there. They got a Nobel, uh, Nobel Prize winning scientist uh, saying, absolutely, this woman should not have been uh, convicted. Will you look at the science here, please? The judge, when he was given all this information, this was 2019. He looked, he read it, he considered the scientific evidence, and he said, nah, I don't have any doubt about her guilt. Well, this enraged the scientists. And they then reached out to more and more and more scientists. Papers were written and published. Further research into her two little boys found that they had different rare genetic variants and not a lot known about them, but in studies on mice, they were linked to lethal epileptic seizures. And so, in all, to this date, 90-90 eminent scientists have agreed that the medical evidence here proves that this poor star-crossed woman never killed her children. She suffered their deaths one after the other and then suffered being accused of killing them and convicted of killing them. And she has sat in a jail cell for almost 20 years now. I wish I could end this story by saying, and so she's out, but she's not. And at some point, you have to believe that with the publicity, with now even, you know, I read this in the New York Times, getting the story, the pressure on the Australian judiciary has got to let this poor woman out to salvage what remains of her life. So I started this story out by saying, you think you got problems? Yeah. Perspective is such an easy thing to lose. Chuck writes about the extra vaccines going begging. 
there was a story on TV this morning about how difficult it is for seniors, yeah, to navigate the internet to get their shots. You betcha. So this woman decided, all right, I saw that too. This woman decided to start helping these older people. And after a month, she was able to get shots for a few hundred people. You know, my shot I got through the help of younger friends. <laughs> I had two young friends who can just do it. It's not like I can't do it, but I'm not as quick. And I get frustrated and go insane. And they're calmer and cooler. And yeah, got me an appointment finally. And the woman who does this does not take any payment. But Chuck says she's being rewarded nonetheless with a lot of home-cooked meals and pies and cakes and cookies from all of these very, very happy, if not computer literate and now vaccinated, older people. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. Uh, little Tony writes, jab ugh, or shot. You reminded me of a recent pet peeve. Every time the news media talks about the vaccine and pandemic, yes, you have a lot of people with you on this one. Pandemic. I have to see countless video of people being shot, well, being injected or jabbed with needles. I hate it. I can't take it anymore. Please, news media, stop. For that matter, I hate sound bites and video shorts, but they're not going to change, <laughs> you would think. I'd be used to it by now, but I'm not. Oh, that's my wine for the day. I think it's all just a year of stress from the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Well, you know who... This has to be months ago, or maybe a month ago. I happened to have KDKA News on, and Ken Rice, who I adore, was uh, was the anchor, and he did the same complaint. You'll be glad to know, little Tony. He said, oh, many, I don't know exactly what he said, but how many times do we have to see these needles going into the arms? I don't want to. Most people don't want to. I never look. I ne When somebody's giving me a shot, I can't look. I always turn my head away. I don't want to see it. And you're right. In the paper just today, right, right now, I am looking at, if I just move things around a little, two pictures of needles in arms. I mean, it is the visual representation of what the story is about, <laughs> but it's not something we, most people just don't like it, right? They just don't like it. And I'm sure you got a million people on your side on that one. I just want to say that any entity that makes a saintly kind soul like a 150-year-old Jimmy Carter 
who seems to have one of those blessed lives. <laughs> I mean, he beats brain cancers that would kill anybody else. He this and that. He's still going he's back to teaching Sunday school. I forget how old he is at this point, but he's old. Any entity that would make this good, good man feel unhappy has got to be a bunch of jerks, right? Made up of a bunch of jerks. And Jimmy Carter released a statement yesterday saying he was disheartened saddened and this is amazing because I don't see him as an angry man and angry and who had made this good man so unhappy and angry his own state of Georgia Jimmy Carter had served as Georgia's governor back in the 70s. And so you can imagine how enraged he is at what Georgia Republicans have done. And as he put it, um, they have dropped, turned the clock back on voting rights and said it was the most severe attack on voting rights since Jim Crow. But how's a Republican supposed to win, huh? The only way a Republican can win is if, you know, they put bear traps on the sidewalks in black neighborhoods where people are going to be walking to go to the polls. They trip them up any way they can. They discourage them. They make it as hard as possible. I told you the other day, unbelievably, one of the laws they passed does not allow a volunteer to give people standing in line water. What kind of horrible human beings would that have to be? And they have no, ex I, I mean, they have to be out front about it because there's no other explanation for why they would do it. Disgusting. My God, they've got to be beaten. We've got, we cannot let down our guard. All I'm saying, okay? Do I have a call? I don't know if I do, but I might. Hello? Hello, hi, Lynn. Hello, hi. Hi. Um... You were talking about the vaccines. You know, I get so tired of these people acting like these masks don't do anything. For one example, the flu season is non-existent this year. They said it's, I mean, we have some. Yes, yeah, It's right. down. And if we would have used the friggin' mask, we wouldn't need the <laughs> vaccine because the people that are spreading is the ones that aren't wearing the mask. It's just common sense. And right. we could have controlled the whole thing with masks. But, it, you know, from the beginning, other president didn't know what he was doing, but but I just get tired of like I see them burning their mask and they're tired of their freedoms being taken away. Nobody's free. Oh. You just got to wear a mask. My God, big baby. You know where do they? I, I, do they not wear seatbelts? Do they not? I mean, where 
laws and government tell us all kinds of things we can do, can't do. Um, these aren't suggestions. I'm and thinking, yet with masks, they were suggestions. I'm thinking also. about wearing them every cold and flu season once this back. Yes, yes. I think it might be a great thing. We could cut that down, too. Exactly People right. Are, and I don't, as an older person, I don't want to get the flu. So I think every winter from now on, when I'm out in, yeah, I'm going to put a mask that's on. That's the problem with society. They, they don't want to be inconvenienced. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced. Little, imagine living way back in the day. The inconvenience <laughs> is people. Now we go, oh, we've got to wear a mask. And this big babies, it drives me nuts. Yeah, me too. I don't Me know. too. Me okay, too. Okay, then. Thank you. Bye. Day. Bye. <laughs> Bye. You too. <laughs> oh, God. Pet peeve. Yeah, idiots. <clears throat> Selfish, brain-dead, friggin' idiots. Don't get me started. Okay, obits. Um, I I told you about Dr. Bernard Lown uh, weeks ago, but I came upon another obituary of him in uh, the magazine The Week. Uh, uh, just the other day, and I learned something about him I did not know, and I wanted to share it with you because he is one of the most extraordinary human beings I have ever had the uh, the incredible privilege to be with and uh, spend time with and talk to. And uh, the week, you know, it, it reminds uh, us of what I told you that. The number of lives this guy saved and continues to save is in the millions. I mean, in the millions. All over the world, every day, some soul gets saved because of Bernie Lown. L-O-W-N. Uh, because he's a guy, the Harvard cardiologist, who invented the defibrillator. Many had tried. Nobody could do it before he did. And then he didn't stop there because he found other ways to do it. He found uh, that the anesthetic lidocaine could also control irregular heart rhythms. And that is now a standard drug treatment. This guy has saved so many lives. He died at I think he was 100 years old when he died. But he was also the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize because he was the founder of the group Prevention uh, Phys Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War. And they were awarded the Peace Prize, and he was the person who accepted it, he along with a, a Russian doctor, because this was an international group. They were the two that, that got it. Um, and and Loud said then to me, you cannot be committed to health without being engaged in social and political struggle for health. But here's the thing I didn't know about him. Wow. He was an immigrant to this country. He came here as a teenager from Lithuania fleeing the anti-Semitism and the impending horror. 
and uh, he ended up in Maine. And he taught himself English, taught himself English by memorizing the pages of a dictionary. How the hell? Then in 1945, he earned his medical degree from Johns Hopkins. He had been expelled from Johns Hopkins and then reinstated. Why was he expelled? For breaking a rule. He knew it was a rule and he knew he was breaking it. The rule he broke was he used blood taken from black donors and he used it for white patients. And that was against the rules in John, at Johns Hopkins in 1940s. They eventually let him come back. As I said, he became an MD there. The Korean War comes, he is drafted to serve as a doctor in the war. Part of what he had to go through was he is, was asked if he had ever joined a subversive organization. This is the height of McCarthyism. And so he was, asked, if, I suppose, if he was a commie. He was known to be an activist, so he was asked, have you ever been a member of a subversive organization? And he wouldn't answer. He found the question repugnant, and he wouldn't answer it. So he was dishonorably discharged. And then, Get this, drafted again. Ha! I didn't know they could do that. So they threw him out, dishonorable discharge, and then they draft him again. And you know what they did to him? They drafted him and put him to work as a janitor in a hospital. And when it comes to lives lived, there aren't many people who can have the impact that this wonderful man had. And um, I've told you I cherish his book called The Lost Art of Healing. And uh, I recommend it. It should be taught in every medical school in the country. So that was something I did not know um, uh, about him. And also getting a nod um, in uh, the week, this week, um, is someone else I know, you may know as well, Ann Feeney, Pittsburgher. And they say of Ann, and I've mentioned her death as well, that she was a tireless folk musician and protest singer who performed more than 4,000 shows over 30 years 
playing at anti-war rallies and picket lines, union halls and punk clubs. I last saw her at a church on the north side. She's wonderful. Her fans included Pete Seeger and the rock band Rage Against the Machine, and she died last month, just 69 years old. Can you do one more obit? Because this is wonderful. I you might remember you'll remember some of this, okay? It's another consequential man, another man of honor. His name is Alan McDonald. He lived to be 83 years old. I want to bring you back to a day none of us will ever forget. And that was when the space shuttle Challenger blew up shortly after takeoff. Who wouldn't remember that? I was a TV reporter at the time and I was shooting a story. I was in Kaufman's department store downtown and we started getting buzz about it. I, my photographer and I ran up to the uh, the floor that sold televisions. And yeah, wow. And there was a crowd and we watched. I mean, the, the people were simply in a state of astonishment and grief and horror. That shuttle mission had been built up so much because it was the first time that a civilian was going into space. And that civilian was a teacher, Krista McAuliffe. And her kids were so proudly watching that day too. In fact, the president, Ronald Reagan at the time, was planning his State of the Union address for that night. And he was going to use this extraordinary feat, obviously, as a way to begin his State of the Union address. Well, we all know what happened. But what we didn't know until a long time later, after attempts to cover it up, and it would have been covered up, but for this man, Alan McDonald. He worked for the company that built the rocket. Morton Thiokol was the name. And he was stationed at NASA in, in Florida. The days before and the nights before the launch had been incredibly cold. By Florida standards, ridiculously cold, below freezing. 
This guy, an engineer who knew this rocket, said, I don't know that we should do this right now. And he got a conference call with the rest of his engineering team back in Utah. And he got all of them to agree that, you know, the O-rings could freeze and that could cause them to obviously stiffen. That could mean fuel could escape and it could mean there could be an explosion. He was also concerned that ice that would be hanging uh, from the launch tower could fall off and damage the heat shield, which could create real trouble on re-entry. So all his engineers agreed with him and they said, well, you better tell him. So he goes back to the guys in Florida and he says, we don't think you should do this. We think you should delay. But NASA was having none of it. And here's what NASA did. NASA gets on the phone and calls the CEO and the other execs at the rocket company in Utah. And it took just a half hour before a return call came from Utah and all those engineers that had agreed with McDonald just minutes before had all of a sudden given their approval for the launch. And it was only later, of course, that it was discovered that they had been bullied by their managers into doing it because the company was worried that NASA would then never do business with them again since NASA wanted this done. So NASA sent, uh, asked the company, Morton Thiokol, hey, will you, uh, we want this in writing, fax over a letter stating that all of you sign off on this, okay? He refused. He's the only one in the company who refused to sign it. And the next morning, 73 seconds after liftoff, the O-rings failed. You know the rest. So Reagan, President Reagan, immediately established a panel to investigate what had happened. And he put the Secretary of State, who at the time was William Rogers, um, to head it. And he put people on it like uh, the physicist uh, Richard Feynman and Neil Armstrong and Sally Ride. 
And he told Rogers, the Secretary of State, make sure that NASA looks good. I don't want NASA harmed in this. So they started their investigation and there was a closed door hearing one day. And during that hearing, it was Sally Ride, the first woman in space, who asked one of the NASA guys about rumors she had heard about there being some concern on the part of the engineers about the O-rings. And, well, this guy said, yeah, there'd been some discussion, but ultimately the company said, no, go ahead, and we got the facts to show. They said, go ahead. We're okay. We're signing off. Alan McDonald, the guy who didn't sign off, was sitting in the back of the hearing room. And he stood up. His hands were shaking. And he said, you are not hearing the whole story. Those engineers who signed had been pressured and overruled and for fear of their jobs and their livelihoods signed off. The Secretary of State, who was presiding, immediately said, I want this room emptied now, cleared. I want you, he said, pointing to McDonald, to stay. He threw everybody else out. As Sally Ride uh, went, walked out, she went, she went up to McDonald and hugged him. And witnesses to that incredible event said both of them had tears in their eyes. So what do you think happened to him? Yeah, you're right. He was demoted. He was demoted and uh, another guy who had been somewhat with him had was placed on leave. He, that company went after him. And hearing that, uh, uh, Representative Edward Markey, who's now Senator Edward Markey from Massachusetts, went berserk and threatened Morton Thiokol, saying, you'll never get a government contract again if you don't reinstate this guy. Well, not only did they reinstate him, they made him vice president in charge of redesigning the booster rocket, which, by the way, he did. And in 1988, the shuttle program resumed with Mr. McDonald's new rocket attached. Alan J. McDonald, who wouldn't go along, who wouldn't be bullied. Amazing. Thank God for these brave and honorable human beings among us. Thank God for them. 
And you see how the powers that be are forever working to silence such people. Josh writes, I remember the day the Challenger exploded. I remember there was a teacher on board. I was in eighth grade. I stayed home from school sick that day. You just wanted to watch, right? My mom called from work and said, turn on the TV. I, oh, I asked what channel. She said, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I turned on the TV and there was the fireball and booster rockets flying randomly. Alan McDonald is an example of how we should listen to the experts, the scientists, and not the executives. Just like the story about, yeah, the poor Australian woman, right? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Shannon writes, after your show yesterday, I Googled some of your previous programs. Not sure what I did, but a lot of pictures appeared. Not sure what you did either. There was one of your mother. She is gorgeous, and her hair is beautiful. Yeah, and she's still gorgeous. Hey, my mom, who will be um, 99 on her next birthday. By the way, my dad would have been 100 years old tomorrow. Oh, my mom will be 99. And I know some of you will think, well, that's outrageous. She is fully vaccinated and she is like a kid let out of jail. And she jumped in my sister's car the other day and drove herself off to do something she hadn't been able to get a pedicure and then drove herself back. And she was like reborn. And then the next morning she jumped in Susan's car again at, just to take the laundry, the cleaning to the cleaners. And don't you tell her she shouldn't be driving. Don't you dare. She's a fine driver. She really is. And she's still beautiful. All right, that's it for me. I um, I gotta go. I gotta go and enjoy this beautiful day. Actually, I have to go and walk on a treadmill, but then I'll enjoy the beautiful day. You guys enjoy the beautiful day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.